Is it worse to be stung by a scorpion or a bee? Justin O. Schmidt, a biologist at Southwestern Biological Institute, knows because he has let more than 83 different species of stinging insects from all over the world bite and sting him in the name of science. In fact, he's the originator of the Schmidt Sting Pain Index, which ranks the relative pain caused by insect stings on various parts of the body. He tells his story in a book called The Sting of the Wild, the story of the man who got stung for science, which is published by Johns Hopkins University Press, and he joins us on today's Please Explain to take your calls about why insects sting in the first place and what happens to them and us after they do it. I'm pleased to welcome John O. Schmidt to our show. Hello. Hello. Pleased to be here. Uh, and if uh, this is to our audience, if you would like to join the conversation, give us a call at 212-433-9692. You can also write to us on our show page at wmyc.org slash Lopate or on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. So, Justin, um, is there any evolutionary advantage to being afraid of bees and all the other insect, uh, insects that sting? Oh, yes. In fact, that's I think the main reason why we're so petrified of stinging insects, if you think about our evolution, we were in Africa. You know, all of us came from Africa, and we came out, oh, 100,000 years ago or so. But the problem was in Africa, there's a lot of really nasty, life-threatening things. You have snakes, you have big animals, you, have, you can get stomped by an elephant or run over by a rhinoceros. And the thing in common with all of these was they attacked us. And, of course, scorpions and spiders are in that category, too. So insects are smaller, but they still can sting us and they still hurt us. And so that's why we have a natural aversion to them. It's in our genes, so to speak. It's part of our, our mental heritage. Well, why, since our ancestors probably ran around without any, without any clothing for a long time as well, making them even more vulnerable to this, uh, you would have thought that evolution would have made us immune to their stings. Well, we'd wish. That's what we call wishful thinking. It, it turns out that even beekeepers who get stung, you know, many, many times throughout years and years of their life are equally susceptible to actually being killed by massive numbers of stings now. We're not talking about, you know, one or two. We're talking about one or two thousand stings. And so we, we really, for whatever reason, haven't really conferred any kind of immunity on ourselves. Why have you been seeking out stinging insects since you were a child? Didn't you... Well, I'm basically a, what we call a fundamental scientist. I'm interested in basic questions that explain, you know, how and why life is the way it is. And my question I was asking is, how did insects get from being solitary? We just had mom and her, her babies, which doesn't represent much of a snack or a meal for anybody, to these huge colonies like honeybees where you have pounds and pounds of wonderful, delicious honey and baby bees to eat and ants and yellow jackets are similar situations. And my question was, how do I get there? And that's where the sting pain scale came in. One of the defenses I was postulating was, boy, if you could really make somebody hurt, they're going to leave you alone, and so then you can evolve more complex societies and behaviors. You uh, tested to see if a honeybee would sting by placing one on a teacher's arm when you were young. Did the teacher appreciate that you were just doing it for science? 
she certainly said, ouch, and, and I don't think I quite knew what science was at that time. The interesting thing about kids is kids are natural-born scientists. They may not know it, but it's, it's within them that they're just curious. Kids love, you know, questions and love seeking answers, and that's what I was kind of doing. So I, I innocently, you know, stung the teacher not no, no, no malice. You know, I, I realize now as adults that most of us would say, how could you possibly have not known that that, that would hurt her? It, it just never really occurred to me, and, and it was, well, as you could say, quite a reaction. She never forgot that. Now, uh, why, before we get to our calls, and a uh, reminder, our number here is 212-433-9692. People are already calling in. Why and when do insects sting? In the case of bees, we're told it's because we've angered them. But uh, I've seen bees sting when uh, nobody was bothering them. Normally, the stings that we get, there's you know, always the rogue exception. But almost 100% of them, they're, they're defending something. Usually, it's their, their hive, their colony. You know, you've trespassed into their territory and you may not know it. That's the problem. You don't know it, but they do. And so they're, they're kind of coming out and, and threatening you, and if you don't notice the threat, then they'll sting you, kind of saying, you know, leave me and my queen and sisters and brothers alone. The, the other case we get stung are when they inadvertently get either stepped on. You know, we all love a nice spring, and there's dew on the grass, and the clover is blooming, and we just, ah, oh, it just feels so good to wiggle your toes in that grass and run around and have fun, and you step on a bee on a flower, well, the bee doesn't like that. You know, we're kind of a big monster that's threatening and squashing them, so they'll, they'll sting you. And likewise, if they fly around and just happen to get caught in your hair, say you're on a windy day and a gust blows your hair up and the bee's flying by and gets snagged, then it feels you're some kind of evil monster that is trying to eat them, and so then they'll sting to defend themselves. So you're, you're saying that they sting us only as a last resort. But how can you tell when an insect is in attack mode? Uh, do they make certain sounds or uh, emit odors or do something else to tell you that they're feeling threatened? They, they do all of the above, which is kind of interesting. In the case of honeybees, if you see one, you know, you can watch one fairly close up going from flower to flower, and it's got this nice, mm, you know, it's kind of humming of the wing beat, but if you, you know, blow on the thing or flick it or threaten it, all of a sudden, it goes a really higher pitch, so they send this, this acoustic, this sound signal that says, you know, hey, you know, I'm alarmed, I'm, I know you're there, you know, go away. And they also get much more jerky. A, a bee is usually kind of smooth flying, and they peacefully go from one place to the next, and all of a sudden they start zigzagging, in particular if they're zigzagging in front of your eyes, and you know, uh-oh, trouble brewing here, you know, good time to uh, lower my head and walk away. And they also use odors, so they use multimodal. They have this, if you've ever been stung, you probably aren't thinking about the olfaction, you're probably thinking about other things. But if you smell, it kind of smells like a combination of fingernail polish and a banana. It's got this kind of pungent odor. And that's, again, an alarm pheromone for both the bees and for you. It tells you you'd better get out of here. It tells the other bees, hey, here's the target. Come sting this one. My guest is Justin O. Schmidt, 
he has written a book called The Sting of the Wild, which is published by Johns Hopkins University Press. This is WMYC, WMYC.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. And today's Please Explain is all about stinging insects. And we'll get into biting as well, I'm sure. And we're taking your calls at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at WMYC.org slash Lopate or on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Dan from Bridgewater, New Jersey, you're on the air. Hi, uh, two questions. One, uh, a bee, unlike a wasp or uh, other uh, uh, insects in that uh, that uh, gender, when when it uh, when it in, in, injects the uh, barb into you, uh, the um, uh, stinger into you, there's a barb thing on it, so its guts come out uh, as it pulls away, and so it would be its last sting. And the other thing is that most of the reactions to insect bites that humans have are hypersensitivity reactions or overreactions, and I wonder how the, uh, that, that can be fatal. So it's not really the initial um, uh, poison that was injected into you. So I wonder how you, you would fit those two facts in, in your evolutionary notion if there is something purposeful to evolution as opposed to just randomness. Okay, well, so he, he pointed out that the honeybee would die after it stung you. What kind of defense mechanism is that? Yeah, that, that's the most fascinating thing, and Charles Darwin was pondering that when he had the origin of the species, because he was, of course, considering that the, the whole purpose of, of life is to pass on your lineage and to defend your, your lineage, your children and such, from uh, you know being eaten or, or extinction. And it, the problem came with the honeybees of, well, you know, if you're committing suicide, which as the as Dan had said, is clearly happening when you sting somebody, then how is that, you know, helping you to reduce, reproduce, and have your lineage go on into the future? And he pondered this for a long time, and he finally thought, I mean, you have to remember this was a long time ago, 1859 and earlier. We had no concept of genetics. We didn't know what DNA was. We didn't know know, any of this. Mendel was working about the same time, but they never actually knew each other or their their work. And so he guessed, he said, well, maybe, you know, if I jump into a lake and rescue, you know, my, my cousins and I drown, well, the cousins are related to me, and so they'll pass on my family lineage. And so, so Darwin thought that's the only explanation he could come up with, that, you know, maybe by sacrificing yourself you're protecting your colony, your nest mates, your queen, and your brothers and sisters. And it turns out he was right on. You know, we didn't learn until well over 100 years later all the genetics of this, but that's exactly why you do it. If, if one bee can chase you away, you can save 20, 30,000 other bees from having to get eaten, say, by a bear or, you know, honey badger or some big predator. And in particular, you want to protect your queen because you as a worker bee can't reproduce and so your whole family lineage depends on one thing you got to defend mom and mom's the queen and so if you die your lineage goes on if she dies that's the end of it but i was surprised to learn from your book that only female bees sting yeah that's that's one of the one of the interesting things and we think you know usually males are the the aggressive and the 
and the big baddies. But it turns out in, in the hymenoptera that, that is ants, wasps, and bees. But it's the other way around. The, the boys are nice, fuzzy little teddy bears. They can't do anything. They're harmless. They don't defend or anything of the sort. And it's all based on what the stinger is. You know, we, we don't actually usually think about, well, what really is a stinger? Yeah, it's this pointy thing with, that injects mean, nasty, uh, painful venom into us. But its origin actually turns out to be it was an egg-laying tube, what we call an ovipositor. And so the ancestors would lay eggs, this tube, into either plants or, or other insects as they were parasitic. And it got modified to add the defensive role of making the secretions, which would, of course, lubricate the function of the, of the venom, the stinging apparatus, to turning that into venom. And so it's a female organ. And while most males don't can't lay eggs, and so you can see males are simply not equipped with the the equipment to, to sting you, and that's why they're so mild and nice and meek. And you say that male honey to have. You say male honeybees taste better than females, and you know that because you've eaten them. But knowing they, they that. Do, uh, uh, they, but knowing that, do male bees have any defense mechanism without having a stinger? The only real defense male honeybees have is, well, two, they have bigger eyes. You, you, you imagine if you're a little boy and you're trying to find the girls, it helps to have better vision than your competitors, so they have really, really big eyes, so they can help detect and, and spot hazard before it happens. And the only other defense they have is, they're incredibly powerful flyers. They, they're much stronger at flying than a worker, or a queen for that matter. And again, it's primarily reproductive that they've got to be able to catch the queen. And if you are uh, got a queen roaring along and you're not fit enough to catch up with her, well, you lose out. And so that's an advantage for them when, say, a bird or something is trying to snag them too, or a dragonfly or, you know, some predator wants to eat a yummy male honeybee. And you can use your aerial prowess to uh, try to evade them. But, but that's it. That's the only defense the male has. Amadou, hi, you're on the air. Yeah, hello. How you doing? Uh, thank you for taking my call. I'm from West Africa. And we have uh, this type of uh, thing who was bothering my whole life. Young age, they saying that he's a one type of uh, honeybees. Is the yellow one uh, in the bushes? One, uh, if uh, thank you, you will be lucky for the whole years. No malaria, no other type of sickness will be able to put you in bed. Uh, I wanted to verify what uh, your uh, uh, the gentleman who is talking about this thing. It is that uh, the possibility is there. The honeybee who uh, stink only once a year and then it's called the yellow honeybees or the lucky honeybees. Do you, do you know about them, Dr. Schmidt? No, I, I haven't heard that particular story. It, it is interesting that, that these things have been used throughout history as medicine. They were used if you, say, would get an injury and you, you fall and you injure your elbow and you're you're, you can sting that area and get swelling and inflammation, which will quite often help protect you from getting arthritis. Or if you have arthritis, you can get stung, and that alleviates it. It's one of these things that's been happening for 
hundreds of thousands of years. Now, as far as I haven't heard any reports about it being conferring protection for malaria. Boy, I wish it were. We could we could run the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation out of business because we'd solve their problem. You know, one sting to everybody's you know a really cheap way to to protect everybody, and I, I wish we could do that, but. I haven't really heard any, you know, real evidence to support that as being, you know, a, a true, uh, true protection from, you know, any disease. We have to take a little break, and we'll come back with more of today's Please Explain look at stinging in- insects with Justin O. Schmidt, whose book is The Sting of the Wild, the story of the man who got stung for science. It's published by Johns Hopkins University Press. And we are back with today's, uh, please explain, look at stinging insects. Uh, Justin O. Schmidt, uh, author of The Sting of the Wild, which is published by Johns Hopkins University Press, is with us. Uh, You say that not all things that sting are true stingers. What insects are the true stingers? Well, most most any insect that's that's a female, and so they have these, the stinger, the overpositor, can sting you. Now, many of them don't. It's very hard to get a lot of the solitary wasps and bees. You see mud daubers flying around in your backyard. They make these little mud clods on your, you know, some of the walls and these sorts of things. They they will sting spiders. That's what they feed on. But they won't sting us. You have to really grab one and go to heroic effort to try to get it to sting you because it simply is not inclined to uh, to try to sting you. And even when it does, it doesn't really hurt. Now, now, there are some that, some that are tricksters. You get some males. Of course, males, as we mentioned, can't sting at all. But nevertheless, if you can bluff and get your way out of a bad situation, say you're grabbed, you curl around your, your abdomen, that's your tail end, kind of jab it into, you know, whoever it is, like some unwary entomologist who's trying to collect you. And often you think, oh, my goodness, I made a mistake. This is a dangerous, this is a stinging insect, and you you let it go. And, of course, the male flies away, and, you know, one point for the male and zero for the person. But, yeah, so they, they, uh, they do this fakery. The males will try to mimic, as we call it, you know, look like a female, act like a female, even though they're completely harmless. What about mosquitoes? Uh, female mosquitoes are the only ones that do the bites. Would we call them bites or would we call them stings? Yeah, I, I call them uh, bites, basically. The, the real difference is that a, a bite is something that comes to feeding mouth parts, say fangs or a sucking tube or something of that sort. So that's at your head end of, of your animal where stings usually come from the tail end, it's often a, a modified, you know, reproductive system like an, an insect. So a sting is injecting venom, whereas a, a bite is usually something that it, it may inject venom as well, say a spider or a, a centipede, but it's out of the mouth parts rather than out of the tail end. And why do they inject the venom? In, in the case of... Uh, of stinging insects, they inject it basically to make you say "ouch" and, and let them go. And well, I could just sit out. Uh, I could just sit outdoors without ever trying to capture any of them, and they're going to bite me, aren't they? Oh, 
Oh, mosquitoes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And, and there are all sorts of other things that bite you, yeah, the, yeah, the noceums and other things. Yeah, mosquito. And so they like you. And, uh, and they, they're coming to suck your blood and, and you know, get, get dinner themselves. So naturally they're coming to you. And whereas stinging insects want to go away from you, they, they have no interest. They don't eat us or anything of that sort. So they're just trying to get us to, well, leave them alone. Don't eat me. I won't eat you, and we'll all be happy. What about uh, spiders? When people get a large uh, welt, they often say that they've been bitten by a spider. But wouldn't we notice if a spider was on our body? Most spiders that are really dangerous, we do. And one of the problems with spider bites, is, or quote bites, is 95% of them cases that come into the doctors really are not spider bites. They often happen in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. So we're sleeping. We don't have any any cause. We don't see anything that bit us. And so often they're just, you know, other things like uh, MRSA reactions, methicillin-resistant staph aureus, kind of a complicated name, but it's these these germs that are resistant to most of our, our antibiotics. And you can get, you know, some of those that look like you know, superficially like a spider bite. The problem is if you think it's a spider bite, you're treating the wrong thing because what you really need is new high-powered antibiotics that can can treat and cure these things. And so it's kind of risky to just assign, oh, it's a spider bite because, well, that comes to mind and we all know spiders bite. And the reality, of course, is that most spiders don't bite us. Again, they, they don't eat people. They only will bite us if we pinch them or, you know, roll on them or something of that sort. So they they usually aren't in our bed, and, and if they do bite us, we'll usually feel the, the bite. Tarantulas, for example, uh, they become the scary things in movies. But do tarantulas bite people very often? The tarantulas we have don't. In fact, that's one of the favorites. You go to insect festivals. And you'll see all kinds of little kids are giggling and screaming and having a wonderful time. And the highlight of the whole thing is almost always when they get to hold a tarantula. And I've never had anybody bitten by a tarantula. They theoretically could bite. I mean, they do have fangs. They, they bite cockroaches. So I tell people, if you're a huge cockroach, then don't hold it because they'll think you're dinner. But if you're not a cockroach, then you're perfectly fine. A lot and of our... So ours, ours are delightful, wonderful pets. Now, I wouldn't do the same if you go on uh, ecotourism in, in Africa. They've got, they, they look like tarantulas, and they're, they're closely related. They call them baboon spiders. I don't know where the name came from, but it certainly gets the right image. That, that, you know, if you're a baboon and handle one of these things, you'll get bitten, and you'll sure wish you didn't. A lot of people are wondering what the worst sting you've ever gotten was. Probably the worst single sting I've gotten is from a bullet ant. They're a, a large tropical ant that lives kind of from Nicaragua down almost into Argentina and, and mostly the rainforest. And ants sting? Do they sting for the same reasons that the bees and wasps sting? Exactly. Pretty much all uh, wasps, ants, and bees the one exception of fire ants. Now, fire ants just have a bad attitude. If you've had anybody that has had a trip down to Florida to visit the theme parks, they've probably undoubtedly 
walked across the lawn and not been you know paying much attention they got these fire ants crawling up their their shoes and up onto their leg and they they just seem to be just plain mean they sting for no apparent reason that, that we can think of turns out they really do sting because they're looking for dinner they'll they'll eat anything including you know baby birds or baby mammals and you know we're just an overgrown chunk of dinner and so they'll just come and sting and of course defending their territory hey you're in my my neck of the woods this is mine get out of here so if you don't i'll eat you and the fire ants have an attitude but pretty much all the rest of them will never sting you unless unless you're threatening them or they they so you may not think you're threatening them but they do the key is you have to look to the eyes of the insect if it feels threatened then it, it'll sting you even though you know you say hey, i'm not trying to do anything to you i'm just enjoying you know an afternoon and but the insect may not think that yeah, it's hard to look into the eyes of an ant oh, oh michael from east village hi you're on the air hi well this is just what i wanted to ask about in florida i was uh picking up a paper bag to throw in the in the trash and it had i didn't know but there were experiments inside of it and they really pack quite a sting, and it seemed to be a lot stronger of a, on a, of a pain level than a mosquito bite, uh, maybe even a bee bite. I wonder where it falls on your scale that you've created of uh, pain from a sting. Which, by the way, we should point out earned you an Ig Nobel Prize. Yes. Fire, fire ants are kind of this fascinating Stinging insects, fascinating from my point of view. I guess most people don't consider them fascinating, and I don't like getting stung by them either. And they're they're actually almost a hypothetical one. And the reason I say that is a one is one sting by one fire ant. But I don't know anybody in all my experience who has been stung by one fire ant. When you deal with fire ants, as our caller probably is well familiar. You usually get many stings, often dozens. And so when you combine you know, many stings, that would elevate it up to about a two, which is about the same as a, as a honeybee. But if you actually get just one sting or two stings of a fire, they're kind of sharp. You know, I'd rather not have it, you know, that's for sure. But it's nothing anywhere near like, say, a, a honeybee or, or a yellow jacket wasp. Edward from Huntington. Hi, you're on the air. Yeah, hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, I, I do a lot of um, butterfly and insect catching. I've always been a big fan of insects. And um, there's one, one particular um, wasp family bug that I'm concerned with is the um, giant cicada killer. I was wondering where that falls on the scale of uh, of bites, since it's about five to ten times the size of a yellow jacket and is very aggressive in appearance and, and flight pattern. And I've caught a few of them. I've never been stung by them. Um, how, how bad is this thing? They're one of my favorite of all the insects because they really are, are kind of a little textbook lesson in themselves. That you pointed out correctly, they're huge. They're they're actually closer to 50 times the weight of a yellow jacket, so they're absolutely enormous. But they're solitary, and they have nothing to defend other than themselves. You know, don't eat me, and I, I will sting you if you, you know, try to eat me. But otherwise, they're they're totally passive and, and unaggressive. They'll try to get away. 
And the interesting thing to me is that here you have a great big, huge monster that actually only hurts about a one and a half, so it's much less than a, than a yellow jacket wasp. And it's mostly what you'd call bluff, and it confers a lot of its protection from exactly what you reported. It scares the devil out of you. And it does this by mimicking the little mean guy. You, know, you think about yellow jacket is much smaller, but yellow jackets really hurt. And so you can get protection of, gee, if a yellow jacket really hurts, look at this huge monster. I mean, goodness, it must really, really hurt. It turns out it, it's a game of bluff, what we call mimicry, that it's mimicking a dangerous little guy in this case. You know, usually mimicry, when you're getting protection by being harmless, you're mimicking somebody bigger than you and, and trying to make them think, oh, I'm just a small, you know, version of this, this stinging thing. Justin, uh, in this we case have... It's saying, I'm a huge version of a stinging thing. We have very little time left, and I want to get this question in from Annie in Mamaroneck. She said, I once got stung by a bumblebee, and it hurt a little at first, but then was extremely itchy for several days, like a mosquito bite. Why does pain turn to itchiness, and why do some stings hurt more than others? And then others have uh, added to that. Uh, some people are barely affected, while some seem to die from a bee sting. Why is that? Yeah, the, the itchiness is actually a, a delayed reaction. It, it's our body. You know, we all heard, have heard of white cells and macrophages in the class, and we probably thought, oh, what a horrible part of my biology class. And they talk about the blood cells that are not red, the white cells. And they come in because there are policemen within our body, and there was venom injected into you, so they're in there policing up the, uh, the damage. And in the process of doing that, they release a number of compounds that are defensive, they're, they're actually good for, you know, protecting us against diseases and infections and such, but they do cause itching. So that's where most of the itch comes from. And uh, just very quickly, why do some people die while others are barely affected? There's a, a very small percentage, it's somewhere around 50 people per year, which you say, well, that's a lot of people who, who will die of that. It, and Justin, we have to leave it there. Justin O. Schmidt is a biologist at Southwestern Biological Institute. His book, The Sting of the Wild, is published by Johns Hopkins University Press. Thank you so much for being on today's Please Explain. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure.